0: Hey, I'm grateful that you're here today, and I really believe God wants to do something inside of us. Don't you love that song? Man, that song always hits me to a spot. I'm over there weeping, going, man, you got to quit, because that song goes deep. I don't know if you guys know this, but hymns were created to enhance the message. Back in the day, a preacher would preach a message, and they would work through a hymn, and that hymn would be something that they hymn... Or sing along all week. And it was because most people didn't know how to read. They had to use these hymns to train people to, to understand what God was talking about. And that song is one of those hymns that really is used a lot. I, I hear it a lot because I get to be a part of life celebrations and, and passings. But, but I love the song. And today at the end of the service, I want you to see the power of that song. So uh, hopefully you'll stick around at the end of the message. Even if it's bad, just stick around, all right? So God's been doing a powerful work in the church since 2018. Don't you guys believe that? You've seen some of the things God's doing? It was awesome. Last week we had an awesome uh, altar call that came up here, and uh, there was oils on the stage, and people really felt the power of God. And it wasn't because of anything that I said. It's because we have a prayer team and want people to get connected to Christ. We've been going through this series called Activate. We are trying to activate something deeper than a credit card or a gym membership or Amazon Prime account. We want to activate the God of the universe to become part of your everyday life. The first week we talked about activating this Holy Spirit. Listening to the words that God has for us individually and activating it. The plan, the purpose, that the Holy Spirit is our inheritance. And he will allow us to start to spend out of that account if we activate it. And then we kind of ended with a prayer on how to make that part of something. You know this? I have a friend that's been a Christian for 40 plus years. He's in here this morning. And we started talking about the Holy Spirit after that. And he started to hear the Spirit maybe for the first time ever. That's powerful. When you're open and willing and listening and having someone walk you through it, all of a sudden you're starting to hear from the heart of God? Man, that's powerful. So that's week one. We talked about activating. We went through this kind of theological approach to the Holy Spirit. And then the following week, Jeremy came up here with a couch and did a sermon on the couch, eating popcorn and texting and doing all this dramatic stuff. And it really kind of hit us that are we willing to do the things of God? Are we willing? He went through Jeremiah chapter 1, and we saw that Jeremiah was called to go into the nations, into the kingdoms, and speak to all the leaders about who God is. Are you really willing to do that? I know that I am, and our hope is, as a church, from leadership down to the, the, the volunteers that are doing some stuff, and the kids are ushering, or setting up and tearing down, they want you to have a relationship with Christ, and they're willing to do some of the service so that you can have that beautiful relationship. And last week, I should have brought the box. I had a box on my head to start. So if you're here just from the box, I don't have the box on today. I know I probably look better in the box. But last week, I started with a box on my head, and I told the story. Now, of course, everybody has their own rendition of what happened. I actually read a book that was written about 1950 from a kid that was at the revival, and a couple of different stories. But really, the box on the head was actually on stage, and the guy during worship and time would sit and put his head in the box waiting for God to speak. And when he said it's time to take the box off, he would get out of the box and start to preach. And... The end of the story last week is when man and women told him the box looks different and stupid and we don't want that. You can't grow a church that way. Once he, took, he told him, I'm no longer going to put the box on, all the works of the Holy Spirit stopped. Man wins out, but God loses big. Man won, God zero. Never a good sign. Trust me, I've done it for many years. And I had man 15, God zero, and uh, that wound me up in jail. So not a good thing. That's true, so it's okay. So today we're going to talk about activate something else, but I really want you to understand your faith has to have some sort of response. Faith is a response to what you believe in Christ. I love you, Lord, and I'm going to have faith, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to activate all these things in my life. James, in our memory verse today, James, the verse that we've had through this whole Activate series, says this. But some will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, this actual chapter of the Bible, or this book of the Bible, almost got thrown out for something written like this. They didn't like it because this kind of shows that I have to go knock on doors, and i got to tell people so that I can actually earn my way into the kingdom. That's not true. What it says is, Because I have faith in Jesus, I should actually do something. Something. Not anything, because sometimes anything's a bad testimony to who Christ is. But I'm supposed to do something because I have faith, I am to do something. And that's why we're doing this Activate series. So I want to ask you a question. Here's what I want you to do I want you to write down some of these things and see if you can get the test on this because there's going to be an answer. But here's the question. I want you to write some things down on your notes. See if you can get them right. And then I'm going to ask for you to shout out one word answer. So these are only one word answers. What are we called as Christians to do in our life? If I really say, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Take me on this journey. I'm going to push aside the world and I'm going to cling to you. If I'm really called a Christian, Write down these one-word things that we are to do as Christians. And I'm going to put the answers up. It's not an exhaustive list, but write a few and see if you get any of them right. Anybody have one or two they can shout? Witness. It's good. Somebody saw the notes. That's good. Discipleship, I like. What else? Love. Really important. Obey. Serve. What? Believe. Believe. Yes, brother. Prophesy. What? Trust. Big one. Have faith. What? Thank you, Jesus. All right, so here's the list. This is not an exhaustive list, but here's what we're talking about. We need to love. We need to serve. We need to be discipled. We need to obey. We need to forgive. We need to worship. We need to pray. But we also need to tell somebody about it. Everybody in this room was told by another person that Jesus Christ is alive, and that's how they receive it. This is the greatest multi-level marketing of all time. And I'm not trying to sell you anything. The point is this. Somebody told you about Jesus, and because of that, you believe. Witnessing and sharing are part of our faith, and most of us don't like to do it. Well, brother, I'm not gifted. I'm not like you. You got a testimony, and you're really funny. I mean, really funny really funny, and you have this charismatic personality. I'm just not like you, brother. I'm not gifted in that. Listen, God can use your gift and use your testimony even if you can barely speak. We see it all through the Bible. Moses had a stuttering problem, and God said, let me be the words, and if not, I'll bring another brother in, and he actually gave his brother to speak. God can use you, and you need to learn to witness. Now, I want you to kind of think two things. What is one thing, just think for a second, we're just going to ponder, what is one thing that God has done in your life that you're kind of stoked on? What is one thing? I've got a ton of them. I'm no longer an addict. I'm no longer an alcoholic. That's cool. That's really cool because I I don't struggle with that anymore. I still got to deal with it, but I don't struggle with that. But I've I've got another one I'm going to show you. But think about one thing. What has he done? You know, for me, one of the things that I have to deal with every week Week in and week out is I have dyslexia. It's a slight, slight dyslexia, but I see the text and the words differently. Uh, my buddy Tucker gave me a, a dyslexia a new thing that's coming out. It's an actual font, and it's helping you to read. But I have a slight dyslexia, but here's the thing. When I was a kid, when it t- came time to read in third and fourth and fifth and sixth grade, I didn't want to do it because it looked weird. And I was jumping all over and they went to the doctor and you got weak eye muscles. And I'm like, no, I just got a weak brain. That's all it is. But every week I get up here and I got to read a bunch of scripture and I try and do it the best that I possibly can. But God has done a great thing in that. It's no longer a struggle. It doesn't mean I don't blow the scripture, but it's something that God has done. Think about something that you have done and that God has done in you and how you can use that as part of your witnessing to other people. Here's the other thing. I have a friend of mine that's a, 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 a pastor uh, in Camarillo at, New, at Horizon Baptist Church. And he says this, and I'm not for sure this is 100%, but I like the concept. He says, if you don't really ever witness to somebody, you're really not a complete Christian because you're really not using the big part of the message, which is, I received something from God, and now I've got to get it away. I know Jesus. Would you like to know Jesus? right? And that part of that life cycle of Christ really makes it whole. If you've ever witnessed to somebody and they come back with some crazy questions like they do, you're like, I better get in the Word a little more because I have no idea, right? Witnessing can be a big part of changing your life. Uh, uh, George Whitfield says this. This is pretty cool about George Whitfield. Another pastor friend down the street just wrote a, a, a book. Um, about George Whitfield, and we were just texting this morning, but here 's what George Whitfield says: "God forbid that I should travel with anybody a quarter of an hour without speaking of Christ to them. Within 15 minutes, they should know i 'm a Christian. that 's what he 's saying. Somehow, some way, they should know that Christ is in me and that my life is connected to the King of all kings. Fifteen minutes. Some of us wait 15 hours, 15 months, 15 years to go, oh yeah, well, I go to church, I'm a Christian. Praise God, hopefully they know that within 15 minutes. Today, ever more present do we need to have Jesus presented to more people. Not because I'm trying to grow a church or our church is trying to grow. We are trying to grow the kingdom. We are a kingdom-based church trying to grow the kingdom of God. If they don't wanna come here, praise God, take them to somewhere else that believes and reads the word of God And can hear the gospel message on a weekly basis. That Jesus died and rose again so that you and I might have life everlasting. Amen? Hey, so today I'm going to do a little bit of a Jeremy Kay's, which is unusual, so it could be really good. And here's what I'm going to do. I don't necessarily read a ton of scripture, but I'm going to read a whole chapter of Acts, Acts 26. And kind of go through Acts 26 and use it for the message. And the reason why is... It says everything, and I don't need to say anything, right? Sometimes God just needs to speak, and so we're going to open up the Scripture, and we're going to read. But let me set the stage for you. In Acts chapter 25, there's this thing where, has anybody ever heard this word pomp and circumstance? We don't really have it in the United States. You know, maybe some presidential stuff, maybe some wedding stuff, but really pomp and circumstance looks like this. This is an English picture. This is my wedding, actually. Liz comes on a donkey but I come in in the gold thing. <laughs> we had a yeah, that's bad dude. <laughs> Hope she's not watching online. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there I am in the center. Uh we had a a, a British theme by the way. <laughs> So, pomp and circumstance, this is a, this is a, an event they do in uh, England every year, and the queen gets out, and they do all this stuff, and this is called pomp and circumstance. Everybody gets dressed up in these goofy outfits, and everything's very formal, and the, you got to bow before the king. I was just watching something with Winston Churchill, and you got to keep going back. There's all this thing, and in England and other places that have kings, they have this thing called pomp and circumstance. Today, in our message, we're in a very similar setting. In Acts 25, Paul has... is is, is speaking before Festus Festus is now in this place where he's communicating to Paul about his issue Paul has now been locked up for two years and he first spoke to Felix the governor and now Festus is now taken over as governor and he has spoke to him about Paul Paul saying look at I'm locked up and I've been here for two years can you help me out Now, Festus hears this message from Paul in chapter 25, and he says, Paul, you should just go to Jerusalem and have your people judge you. And he says, no, I appeal to Caesar. And basically what he's saying is, I want to go to the Supreme Court on this issue. I want to go before Caesar, and I want to be heard so that everybody knows that that, that they're, they're wrong in what they're saying. And so Paul is appealing to Caesar. Now, here's what's happening here. As Paul appears to Caesar, appeals to Caesar, now Festus goes, I don't know what to do with this guy. I don't even know what I'm going to write on the letter sending him to, uh, to Caesar. He's like, I've got to write this letter and go, hey, I'm sending this guy, and here's why he's getting convicted, or here, here's why he's before the Supreme Court or before Caesar. So right before our chapter starts, this king Agrippa and his sister, wife, it's actually his sister, and it happens to be his wife, and it's obviously a obvious little incestual, weird relationship. They come into town, and this is a beautiful place called Caesarea. If you've ever been to Israel, Caesarea is on the ocean, very Mediterranean. It looks like Greece. And they come in, and it's got huge columns, and they're in this place. And all of a sudden, Agrippa and, and Bernice and, and Festus said, yeah, let's hear from Paul. And, he's, and, and Festus goes, maybe you can help me write this letter after we hear from Paul. So that's kind of where we're at today. And I want you to look at some of the actual characters in, in the uh, Bible, I mean, in this verse. These are three of the main characters beside the Apostle Paul. Bernice, that happens to be Agrippa's sister, that are married. That's kind of weird. And then Festus, this is uh, the governor. And so these are the three main characters. I wanted to give you a visual of who they are so that you can know what we're talking about. Here's the other thing. I want to put up a chart. Do you guys know who Agrippa is? Agrippa is uh, from Herod the Great. He's from the line of Herod the Great. If you remember Herod the Great, he wanted to kill all the babies in the Jesus story that we talked about in December. He wants to kill all the babies, Herod the Great does. Now, his son, Antipas, actually killed John the Baptist. And Herod Agrippa I actually killed James. And now we're in this one situation with Herod Agrippa where he's hanging out with his sister wife kind of thing. So not really the best family and the best morals, as you can tell. So that's where we're at today. If you're able to stand, let's stand. I'm going to read a few verses in Acts chapter 26. My challenge is to you to go back later and reread this and see what God speaks to you. Today we're going to activate witnessing or sharing. And the Apostle Paul is in this grand arena with all the pomp and circumstance, with great leaders. And now he wants to speak a message and he's going to witness to them. Here's what it says, Acts chapter 26 verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are, one, you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know that you are an expert in all the Jewish customs and controversies. Now please listen to me patiently. He kind of lays out the case and he's waving and he says, I'm grateful. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they would know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I'm on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day and they share the same hope I have, yet your majesty, they accuse me for, not have, uh, for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God cannot raise from the dead? There's resurrection power in Jesus Christ is what he's saying. Why would a God, if you believe in a God, cannot raise somebody from the dead or somebody out of the ashes of their life? Paul continues, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. And many times I had them punished in synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. Let's just stop right there and let's get ready to pray. You know, if you guys haven't been here for a while or if this is your first time, last year we created the church into three teams. This is Team Salvation. This is Team Revelation right here in the middle, and this is Team Transformation. Throughout the whole year, we are praying that people will have salvation today and grow in their faith and their salvation. In this center section, we're praying that God will reveal himself from his heart to our heart and to our mind that we will hear and see, and not just this church, but all across Ventura County and beyond. And this is my team. This is where I sit. We're praying that God will transform us and renew us and build us up to be whole and right and truly uh, uh, apostles for Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray boldly to you throughout the week for salvation and revelation and transformation. But today, will you witness to us, to our heart? Will you unlock our mouth and our minds so that we can see you? Lord, will you use us as vessels for your kingdom so that your kingdom will grow and that we will throw out seeds and we will water and at some point we will harvest because of you, Father? Lord, we come together as a church wanting to know how to witness and to be more engaged and and comforted in witnessing for you, Father. Let your word speak boldly, Father. We love you in the name above all names. Jesus Christ and all all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and sit for a second. So here, the Apostle Paul is witnessing to this great crowd. Think about your witness. Sometimes I go to Coffee Bean, or actually all the time, I go to Coffee Bean or Starbucks. I'm there all the time. And I have opportunities to talk to people. But it's not usually with all this pomp and circumstance. Here he's in a setting where he's got all kinds of people, and they're great leaders in the community. They're actually leaders of the, the area, northern Israel, northern Israel. And Southern Israel, you've got a Jewish leader, you've got a Roman leader. There's a lot of cool people in there, what we call the the fancy or the well-to-do. And Paul's just laying it out. And here's what he's doing: he's kind of giving a testimony. And here's the system that I would say it's pre-conversion, conversion, conversion, and then post-conversion. What I I kind of say it in English, which is what happened, or what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's uh, and what it's like today. Right? That's what I kind of utilize. But here the Apostle Paul is one of the great apostles of all times. Does anybody know how many books the Apostle Paul has written? That's good. Thirteen. Good answer. Um, the Apostle Paul is one of the great apostles, not just because of his writing, but because of his witnessing. He was willing to witness and go to the nations and go to different places and tell people about Jesus. And he was willing to go in front of big crowds and synagogues and say, you guys got it all Backwards. You're actually missing, misreading and understanding what Christ is trying to say. But here's the thing. As we continue to read this story, the Apostle Paul is now the third time going to tell his conversion story. In Acts chapter 9, his original conversion happens, and that story is told. And two times later, 1 in 22 of Acts and chapter 26. If it's a couple times in the Bible, what does that mean? It's important. It's not just important that he got converted. But what was said to, God, what to, to him in this conversion is important to us. So here's what it says. So now he says, I am so zealous that I'm willing to chase him into foreign cities. And now he says, one day, as I was on a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priest, about noon, your majesty, I was on the road. A light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We fell down... I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's useless for you to fight against my will. Now listen, we have all maybe heard this if you've been in church a couple of years, but the next verse is Paul says, why? Or who are you, God? Who are you? When God is doing great things, here's a great painting of what this, this depiction looks like when, when Saul is getting converted into Paul. This great light comes down and there's, this, there's this, this angelic Jesus coming from the sky and it's knocking everybody down on the ground. When God is doing something big, you sometimes go, God, what are you doing? Who are you? I don't know what you're doing. And when God does big things sometimes in your life, when he's radically taking you out of maybe an addiction or a marriage or he's growing you up or transforming you, you got to go, God, what are you doing? Who are you? I, I've always had you as this little box God that's on, in the Bible, and you're bigger than that. And you see the apostle Paul is like, who are you? I, I've been believing you one way, but you're so much bigger and better in another way. When God does big things. We sometimes are, are befuddled or are we confused or in excitement like, who are you? What are you doing? And here you see the Apostle Paul being converted. And here's what the Lord replies. He says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you and appointed you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. I will rescue you from both of your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that you may turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins, and they will be placed among God's people who are set apart by faith. Here's what it says. In layman's terms, here's what the Jesus of the universe, the Jesus of Nazareth, who's been uh, killed and resurrected, here's what he tells Paul, and really it also can equate to us. He says, you are to be a witness. You are to be my servant and witness. The Bible tells us why we're asking you to activate your witnessing tools because the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you are to receive the Holy Spirit and go out and be a witness to Jerusalem and uh, Judea, Samaria, and to all the nations. We are, are, are asked to. There's 117 verses that tell us that we should go out and tell people. And a lot of times we're like, well, I'm not gifted in that. God doesn't, can use you even if you're not gifted. We're we're always so worried about, well, that's not me. Well, there's someone here that needs to hear you. They're waiting for you and hoping that you'll really open yourself up. He says you are to be a witness. I don't know if you guys realize this. I've said this all summer, this summer, this last summer, that when God will show you more, when you engage in your faith, when you open up the word of God, when you become part of his walk and his way, you start to see more that will be revealed. When I was, what I know today, versus I know 15 years ago when I got on my knees, is completely different. He has revealed a whole other side or a whole other level of intimacy that I never had before. He says, "I'm going to reveal to you, tell everybody what you've done, and also the future stuff that I'm going to do. I want you to tell other people." He also says that you will be rescued. Do you believe that God just hangs you out to dry? I I, I did at one point, like, "Dude, where are you?" And I wasn't saying it that nicely. There happened to be an F-bomb or two, or 20. But I didn't know the scripture. I didn't know God was doing something. And I had this, where are you, God? Who are you? This is kind of how you work? And I kind of got mad and said, if this is you, I don't want it. And, you know, the beautiful thing is God showed me and trained me and locked me up for a little while to get settled down. And then he says, we're going to bring darkness to light. Hallelujah. We're going to take the power of Satan and put it into the power of God in your life. Most of us are living an antichrist life if we don't believe in Jesus. And he wants to make us a a Christ-fearing life. And he wants us to be forgiven and set apart. Are you set apart for people in your life? If you're set apart, you need to go in and engage them so that you're no longer distant so they can have that similar relationship. Verse 19 says this. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven and I preached to those in Damascus and then Jerusalem and throughout Judea and, all to, and also to the Gentiles. They must, he preached this, they must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove that they have changed by the good things that they have done. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this and tried to kill me. But God has protected me up to this present time so that I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses should, uh, should, uh, said would happen. And that is the, the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead. And this was to announce God's light to the Jewish and to the Gentiles alike. Listen, here he comes in and says, listen, I'm going to come and pre- pre- preach. Preach repent and turn to God, and I'm also going to disciple them. Did you see the little disciple verse in there? He says this in in verse uh, 20b. It says, Then they must repent and turn from their sins and turn to God and prove that they have changed by the good things, by the fruit and what they're doing. If you're a Christian and you're living a life of Christ, there should be some sort of fruit. Every so often I play golf And on this one area, man, their fruit is awesome. It's huge, and nobody's ever eaten it, but it's good. You can see a good fruit tree from a mile away. The ones in my house, they're terrible. you got to water them, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. you got to have good fruit. And the apostle Paul is challenging, and then all of a sudden, there's an interruption. Suddenly, fetus shouts, Paul, you're insane. Too much study, bro. You're making yourself crazy. There's a little bit of a interpretation there. It says, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. You know, sometimes when you study too much and try and think about all the things that it says in Revelation and Daniel, that can make you crazy. Well, Festus is saying, hey, man, you're studying. You're trying to connect all these pieces. Man, it sounds crazy, bro. It's a little weird what Paul's saying. But here's what the Apostle Paul says. Paul replied, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying to you is the sober truth. King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I'm about to share these events that are familiar to him, for they were done not in a corner, not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. So here's what happens. The apostle Paul is interrupted, and he says, listen, this is the sober truth. I know you might not want to hear this, but this is true. This is the sober truth. And I ask you just sit and listen. And then he's, bless you. Then he said, he said, now I'm going to speak to the other king that knows the Jewish law. And here's what it says, verse 28. This is probably the most powerful verse in the whole section, and there's a lot of controversy about this verse, and I'm going to show you a little bit of it just so that you understand. Here's what Agrippa says. Agrippa interrupts him and says, Do you think that you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Yeah, yeah, I do, actually. A A few words about who Jesus is and how he died and how he rose again. Yeah, I can do that. That's basically what's happening here. But here's the thing: in the NASB, if you read that, and that's ones that uh, most of us read to study the actual language. Here's what it says in the NASB. And if you look at the Greek, do you see any punctuation in Greek language? In the Greek language, when you study the Greek, and I'm not a Greek guy. Jeremy knows the language much better. He's got a masters in languages in both Hebrew and, and, and Arama- uh, Hebrew and Greek. But look in the Greek letter. There's no question marks. There's nothing in all of the Greek texts. There's just periods and sentences. So you have have to interfere, but here's what the NAB says up there. It says, in a short time, you'll persuade me to become a Christian. What does that mean? Here, there's a conflict here. Is he actually saying, tell me a little bit more and I will actually believe? Maybe. Maybe it's a rhetorical, hey, just in a short more time, I can actually have something. The way we look at it is the way that it makes sense, but either way, it's still a powerful moment that in this moment, there, there's a chance now that he can be saved, because he's feeling it. He's starting to see all the connections and the pieces coming together, and that's how God works. You know, sometimes we're just to be planting seeds, sometimes we're watering, and some days we get the harvest. Here. This is probably a seed planting, but you see that, is it a question? One of the texts in the NASB refers to it not a question. The NLT does it as a question. The point is this. He's close, and he believes, and he starts seeing something. And they're actually starting to have some answers that are pretty strong, as you'll see at the end. Yes, I am telling you that in a few minutes, you can become a Christian. Me and my sister were in Mexico About four years ago, and we were walking the streets, and we were handing out gifts. And these two young girls, one was like 17, and one was like 25, and they both had kids. And they were going through a hard time. And then within two minutes, my sister's like, hey, can you come over? They want to accept Jesus. And I'm like, what? Yeah, they're, they're that strong. Kim goes, well, we can't give you food because it's for this family, but we can give you Jesus. And they're like, okay, we'll take it right? It doesn't take that much. It doesn't take that much. We make it this big deal. I've got to memorize all of John or James. I've got to memorize the whole 21 chapters, and we make it bigger than what it really is. Paul is called insane. He's interrupted, but he's not afraid, when you tell somebody about Jesus, you're going to be called insane. You're going to be interrupted. Your family members are going to go, get that Jesus mumbo-jumbo freakish stuff out of my life. And you're to go, thank you for listening to me. And not be rude. Anytime they reject it, it's a blessing for you. If you're persecuted for it, it's a blessing for you. Oh, Jeff, you're good. You're a, yeah, it's, you're right. But everyone says, oh, Jeff, you're a salesman. You're used to the nine no's. That was my dating life. Are you kidding me? I was good salesman. The point is this. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be rejected. Everybody say, I'm going to be rejected. But Jesus is going to win. A lot of excitement about Jesus. That's good. So how and what? Let's kind of close this story and then get to the how and what. Here's what the Apostle Paul closes. Paul replies, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that you both, that both of you and everyone in this audience might become the same as I. Oh, except the chains that I'm in? I don't want you to be in that. Right? Don't do that. But I want you to believe. At the end, he's just like, I want you to know that you should accept Jesus. That's what I want. Then the king... The governor and Bernice and all the others stood up and left. They went out and they talked it over and agreed. This man has done nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And then their heart has changed. And here's what it says. Then Agrippa said to Festus, he could have been set free if he didn't appeal to Caesar. When I first read that, I was so infuriated. I didn't know nothing about the Bible. I am so, if he just didn't say Caesar, it would have been awesome and he couldn't have planted more churches. Dummy, Paul, you're a dummy. But listen, the more I understand it, he's trying to now, as he's getting older, get into the leadership of the world. He's trying to start to speak at a higher level because he's like, I planted churches, I've done this. My life is coming to an end. Now I need to take it to a higher level because I'm not gonna be here forever. And kings and queens and everybody needs to hear that Jesus is alive. And he literally transformed the world because of this move to Caesar. It was powerful. So how and what? How do we do it? You can get up here and read all of Acts 26 with your dyslexic ways. How does that make me work? How does it work? What what can I do? Well, here's the thing. Paul uses this pre-conversion, conversion, conversion, and post-conversion concept. What I would say is what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. I used to be a drug addict and an alcoholic, a selfish man chasing the dollar, and then God got a hold of me. And today, I want to share the gospel to anyone. Do you know that the Apostle Paul never quotes Scripture? Never once does he got this memorized version of Scripture. He just tells his story. He's not referring back to Isaiah or anything, though he knows it all. He's not referring. He doesn't quote Scripture. Do you realize that God didn't transform him into something different either? He didn't come in and say, Paul, you're no longer going to be the same, Paul. You're going to be something different. You're not going to go from a pianist to a tennis player. He's the same guy. Do you realize that Paul was a zealot and hated Christians? And then he became the most loyal and faithful Christian? He was changed inside, but he was still the same DNA. I'm going to be zealous and loyal for you now, God. I'm going to do more work for Jesus than I've ever done before. When when Jesus called fishers of men, he called fishers of men, and he says, I'm just going to change the bait, and the thing you're catching, you're still going to be a fisher, right? God's not going to have to change you, but he's going to want to use you. Don't let others sway from the truth. Paul Chappelle writes, God desires for you to be involved with drawing people to his word through a dedicated life to him and to be an active witness for him. God wants to draw others into the word so that they can have this relationship with Christ. And your job is to be an active witness. It's not easy. Here's five ways to do it. And these aren't exhaustive ways, but these are ways that we've done here. There's one called the bad news, good news. The bad news is not one of you are good. All of you are sinners. Not one of you are good, and there's nothing that you can do to make it. The good news is Jesus will connect you to the God of the universe. There's good news that he, in him, if you believe, you will be connected and have life everlasting. There's another one called the bridge. You guys ever seen the bridge? Here's what the bridge is. That centerpiece where Christ is, that's called sin. That's the chasm. Jesus is on one side. I mean, man is on one side. God is on the other. Jesus lays his life down and bridges you to God. And you no longer have to live in the chasm of sin. Amen. There's called the one verse trick. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but he have eternal life. That one verse said correctly people understood it that'll bring people to christ how about just pray from? you know a lot of people in our church and staff have been doing for years is just walking up to people and going hey you guys are a church in coffee bean or something I'm like yeah can we pray for you and all of a sudden the whole spiritual realm of their heart changes why would you pray for me Sometimes just ask them to pray i'm gonna pray to jesus today is that okay The best one for me is my testimony and your testimony, even if it's not like Paul's or mine. Something was changed in you, and you need to tell him that one thing that you're really excited about. God changed me. So if you're still lost, what do you say? Let's go back to the amazing grace. Two weeks ago, Jeremy was up here on the couch and says, if you don't have any words, look at the amazing grace lyrics, the beginning of amazing grace. How sweet the sound, I was a wrench. I once was lost. But now I'm found. Was blind by this world, but look, now I see because someone told me about this man, Jesus Christ, and he gives me life everlasting. Another section says my chains are gone. I've been set free. Jesus has come into my life. I'm no longer bound up. I have a freedom in Jesus Christ. I am set free, and in Him my life is changed and transformed. He is my God, my Savior, and He has ransomed me. John Courier was convicted in 1949 of murder. He got life in prison. A few years later because of good behavior he was sent to a working farm a prison farm in 1968 john's sentence was terminated once again because he was good behavior a letter was sent to him on the farm but john never got the message never got the letter the farm owner didn't want to give it to him because he just wanted to keep him at work he was a free man Life on the farm was hard. There was no hope. There was no future. It was miserable. It was just like prison except working on a farm. John kept working. The farm owner died and he worked 10 years after the farm owner died. And the sheriff finally came up one day and heard the story and drove in and said, John, man, I hate to say this, but you've been free for 10 years. And the guy didn't tell you. What if the most important message of your life was never given to you? What if there's someone hanging on a thread right now in your family, in your neighborhood, at work, and in school? What happens if the most important message of love and grace and mercy and freedom was not given to you? Somebody's waiting out there for you to witness to them. Those that have heard the good news and experienced freedom, we are to proclaim it. Our job is to give the good news, let the world live in its bad news. Amen? Will you just bow your head? If there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus, every Sunday we connect Jesus to the message no matter where we're at, Old Testament, New Testament, we believe in Jesus. If you're here today and you're not connected to Christ, if you feel the tug of your heart and God has witnessed to you through the text and through the message, will you allow God to speak and open up your heart. If that's you, repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul. And bring you peace. Bring me peace, Father. I know that you died and you rose again for me. That I may have everlasting life. Holy Spirit, come over me right now. And fill me up for your glory. Father, we love you and we praise you and we lift your name up. In the name above, Jesus Christ. Amen.